Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome back. And today I'm sitting down with Mark Miner, the founder and CEO at HiArc, who we met first maybe four months ago. I guess it was pre-builder show. Maybe, yeah, maybe six been, months ago. Must have been late last year. But Mark invited me, actually Mark's company invited me to a cocktail party at the Builder Show. And I, my schedule was already filled, but it was the most, for a technology company of any type, it was the best branded invitation to an event that I've ever seen, Mark. So design, brand, I was just like, what, what is it? There's a man in a spacesuit, and it's, it's gold and black and white, good color scheme. Uh, so we scheduled a time to, to hop on a call because what was shown on the website was compelling. And then, honest to goodness, the most compelling product demo for our industry that I've ever seen Mark unfolded in front of me over the course of like a 15 minute call. And in particular, like five magical moments where Mark, you designed a house from nothing, a house that would be saleable in most markets in the country in about five minutes. That in and of itself was amazing that it, that it looked like a home that people would want, that you're not a professional home designer, but you had built this system to do something just even on the design end that's compelling, but then there's more to it than just the design. So now that I got you on the show, though, is it all smoke and mirrors? Because I'm I'm used to a lot of vaporware in this industry where people show something that they're going to deliver tomorrow that that it's like it's like nuclear fusion. It's going to be here in the next ten years. Every ten years. Yeah. So describe what what you showed me for for those uh, listening, and then explain to me whether what is real, what's not real, and kind of what Hierarch's goal. I know there's a lot of a lot to throw at you at the, at the very yeah. beginning. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Where to start? Is it real? Is it not real? Nuclear fusion, it's, you know, it's always 10 years away. That's a problem I'm really familiar with. Prior (laughs) to this, I was a part of the leadership of launching two different 3D printing companies. And it's relevant because that informs what we do at Hire. 3D printing, as you guys may, a lot of folks think of 3D printing and they think of, in, in our industry, they think of 3D printed homes. 3D printed homes is a very itsy bitsy sliver of 3D printing as a broader market. Yeah concept of 3D printing really is not about 3D printing. It's about digital manufacturing. It's about expressing data, digital information directly from the computer to the mechanism of delivery, Mm. right? And that could be a CNC machine for cutting metal or other materials, or it could be a 3D printer. But 3D printing is one of those things that's strong on promise. And, you know, it's... it's Yeah, we we were supposed to have a replicator from Star Trek by now. I think, and at least not to have to change the spools of one color plastic to another as we're creating a figure right. or something, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. So 3D printing is on its way, but you know, it's it's been the next thing now for probably 30 or 40 years, actually. And, and it's still, you know, manufacturing is pretty entrenched for a lot of good reasons. So why do I bring that up? We started HiArc to adapt the tools and processes for automating the flow of information from manufacturing over to home building. And why automation, why digital, whatever, why does that matter? The core problem that, as we saw it in home building was around the ability to manage change easily and accurately. 
across the value chain. It's this really hard problem that affects us every single day. People on my team have way more experience building houses than I do. We have plenty of folks who ran home building companies for several decades. And so we're built really for builders, by builders in many ways. What makes us unique is that we're injecting kind of world-class DNA from manufacturing software into this space. Not because we want to move all home building into factories, but because we want to have the same kind of digitally driven efficiency that you see in those industries available to home builders. Yeah. This is going to be a hard one to convey in the episode to everyone. And that's why I just started out by saying how truly like awestruck I was by, by what Mark was demonstrating to me that he was capable of doing. And we'll break down why and how and all of that. But whenever I'm talking to someone not from home building, who's in technology or investment or, or another space, and we reference housing, they're like, we, you know, we just don't understand why, why is it so hard? Why are they so resistant to change? And, and part of what I express to them is, sure, we could just keep beating on the resistant to change part of it. But the number of SKUs, meaning the number of products that go into what we're building, when you talk about managing change, you know, a, a tangible example would be as an organization, when I, when I worked for builders, we knew what type of additional options we needed to begin to bring to market or changes to existing floor plans that needed to be made. But the pain of making those changes well in a way that we'd make sure we made money uh, it was being built, that it'd be able to be built correctly by this, the trades and co- subcontractors, that it wouldn't ultimately increase warranty costs because of rushing to market too fast, let alone going back and talking to all the manufacturers and distributors of all the different parts they'd not need to start sending us. Yeah. All of that meant that by the time we all collectively agreed, and I'm talking in like a 2010 um, time period here, by the time we agreed that something needed to change to the time that it was rolled out to market correctly <laughs> was, you know, pushing on 12 months if you were, if you were doing really well. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to someone at an event that I was just at where they were they were talking with someone in HVAC or some type of component in a home. And there was 480 SKUs of this from this one manufacturer. And so think about a, a repairman going in. He doesn't have 480 different parts in his truck. And so just that in and of itself means that there's all this inefficiency built in because all those parts were made for a very specific purpose that's not necessarily... Um, complementary to uh, other changes need to happen. So you get this cascading effect of complexity if you don't start out from scratch. And and that's one of the things I want to highlight is, um, Mark, from talking to you previously, Hierarch is not built on, in Star Wars terms, flexicord and spit or duct tape and cardboard. You guys have taken the time to build this using current current era technology. so that you're not just having to deal with, with legacy systems. Is that yeah? So well, and I'm trying not to do the, just the hierarchy pitch, but you know, but I'm happy to kind of just briefly um, do that, so it's a little more clear um, what the heck we're talking about when we talk about using automation to manage change. Um, what you said is totally right, and the the state of the industry can get crazy um, when you look at the compounding effects of changes. And like, I'll give you, I'll use one phrase really quick that will probably like um, trigger some like PTSD for some people. And that <laughs> phrase is intersecting options. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Intersecting options is that one thing we'd love to all avoid for 
A lot of reasons. The moment you have intersecting options, that alone um, creates a combinatorial explosion problem in terms of the sheer number of uh, ways you have to represent what should be in some ways the same exact thing. Right. Yeah. Just define intersecting options for those who aren't familiar with it. Well, here's the most um, simple example. Let's say you're a builder who provides a bunch of structural options and you've got like a back, um, uh, like a back porch and maybe you've got a back porch. You've got two different back porch bump outs, you know, mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit larger. One that's going to go, um, uh, kind of uh, directly north, which is the back side is the north side of the house, and the other one, which is going to go west. And the, you know, you can you can kind of choose to have this uh, one or the other. But what if you want to do both? Actually, you want to just enlarge the whole thing. It's a mm. it's a weird option, but we've actually seen it get offered where it's just yeah. like yeah, larger porch. You know, um, what if yeah, you or, I think I think similarly, more common for a builder would just be like a two foot bump out to the right side of the home, sure. and a two foot bump out to the rear of the home. Right? If you do That's both right. those things, and you've got portion that is intersecting. That's right. And, and this happens. Um, there's so many places where this happens. Um, and now you've got uh, any, you know, 9x the number of, of, of um, iterations you have to deal with across purchasing, across sales and marketing, across, you know, um, your, your uh, CAD and, and is that because typically the way the builder would handle it would be to create a third option, which then means there's versus having two inter... Like, would you pick both options or, pick, or create a well, third? Often, I mean, I'm not going to speak very builder, but often the way you would see this, at least when you think of purchasing, is like um, you've got your base and then you've got each option is independently, mm -hmm. has its own independent, like mini bomb, let's call it. Do you know what I mean? Or yep. actually what's like a sub-assembly. And then um, those get assembled kind of in real time on the job, on a per job basis, right? Yep. That's something that's very complicated to work out today. And then you've got to represent that somehow on plan. And maybe you've actually never represented that combination of options. And you didn't realize that when you add these two things together, it changes the roof line in a way that no longer makes sense. We actually catch those kinds of problems all the time. <laughs> it's pretty striking. And, and it's, it's part of the challenge with um, the sheer complexity of bringing homes to market in a production style, where you're trying to standardize as much as you can, but you have the reality of local code requirements choices that you want to offer or not offer in certain locations, you know? Um, yep. So anyway, um, this is one example of, I think, how things can get really challenging if you're a builder. And obviously it gets compound, compounding in its levels of complexity as you have to um, manage changing suppliers or, you know, reducing skew counts of something uh, on the fly while you're trying to keep your trades moving. And so, the thing that we're really focused on as a business is enabling home builders to have kind of total control over the data about their homes in an automated way. With ERP systems, it's it's basically a fancy spreadsheet that you're kind of having to <laughs> manhandle. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And you've got that, and then you've separately got CAD, really old school CAD systems, you know, that are essentially points and lines. And the two shall never meet, right? Some folks have made the fated decision of, trying to make Revit work or something like that, yep. like a, some kind of BIM solution. And that's just... And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with that, Revit is a tool that will spit out a list of parts and pieces connected with the drawing that you've designed. So it's trying to bridge that gap between the ERP where all those products live, uh, different prices per unit count, linear feet of X costs Y, and comes from manufacturer or supplier Z. And one of the builders that I worked with tried to go that route uh, as an intermediary, but it's it adds to legacy systems that must be maintained 
uh, yeah. that that don't necessarily talk well together and and other so problems. So you've got this core problem, which is that homes are products that's that, and, and we would like to bring them to market with some of the same kinds of efficiencies that you see in the product world. Our industry loves to reference like automotive a lot, and I think mm. certainly from the consumer experience standpoint, we should be able to sell homes kind of like we sell cars, you know. But the problem is that homes are just so wildly complicated relative to every other product type. And so you've got this fundamental challenge that we are, that we are honed in on of managing change um, to homes and managing that change across the value chain. Because today when there's a change, whether that's because you're opening a new community or a new division and you've got to uh, you know, uh, adapt your product for that location, or whether it means a supply kind of crisis that is causing you to um, rework product for a number of reasons, or whether it's like maybe you're, you finally worked up the energy to like freshen up your plan catalog or something, or, you know, reduce the complexity of it. Or maybe simply just keeping your head above water with um, configuring your lot specs because buyers are given a bunch of structural options, you know? Yeah. Where, I, I I'm trying, trying to give more visual illustrations of this because what, what Mark is saying is you really only have two options right now if you want to, to sell your home like people sell cars. Mm -hmm. Option one, which is uh, unthinkable to most, is to severely limit your product offering. So Welcome Homes, which is uh, a company that I've referenced a couple times in the podcast, they, they only have three floor plans, the Oasis 4, the Oasis Flex, and the Oasis 5. That's it. So you yep. either do dramatic limitation of the product to achieve that type of simplicity, or you have to use a systems-based approach like Mark is expounding that says, as we add more floor plans, there's a certain set of rules and structure that need to be followed so that we're not reinventing. I mean, and this is, I think, the other thing. Off, they still have to adapt it to various locations for for community it, ARB requirements, for code requirements. Yes. Change this problem. You're just you can't escape it. That's what makes homes so unique. And, and, but for everyone who works at a builder who's listening, if you've, if you've poked your nose around how this product development process and, and costing process works, which you should, even if you're a marketer listening and thinking that's not my job, you should still have an understanding of it. It'll help you become a better marketer. The narrative internally at home building companies is that that adjustment work must be done by highly compensated individuals using hundreds of, of human hours. And, and there's a couple problems with that. It's not the humans that are the problem, to be clear. Mark, nor I, or nor anyone who's really smart about this would recommend having less uh, competent human beings in your organization. But the problem is that those humans are most likely to come up with the simplest and best answer that's one-off and not the one that is likely to be repeatable and standardizable yeah. in your organization. And again, without technology, we're always going to be overwhelmed by humans at the amount of variation that's required. Yeah. But kind of the road, Mark, you were leading me down on our, on our last conversation was there's really still not, think about it like sales. Let me go that direction. There's a, there's a, a billion potential different objections that you're going to get as a salesperson. And yet, the rule of seven applies where at the end of the day, if you boil all those objections down, they're one of seven different types of main objections. 
that law has never yet been broken that I've ever seen anyone come up with a new one that's not part of those seven general categories. And so even though it is incredibly complex and variable, for technology, that's what technology should be able to do is to take that amount of variety, create or some order out of chaos and and ultimately have as few as as few one-off situations as possible that a human being needs to yeah. to really dig into. Well, I mean, you want to free yourself up to do the more important work. And ultimately, because we're we we describe it as like a hair, we're in a hair on fire industry kind of, you know, it's just so hard to maintain a view to what's coming because what is is just there's so much happening all the time and so much changing. And so we've got to, we've got to be able to eliminate work that is fundamentally repetitive, you know, and to start systematizing our intent. So a lot of builders have these multi-page Word documents, effectively, that they call construction standards. <laughs> yeah. Why on the earth can't we just say, you know, let's take those standards and, and enforce their use across every home we ever build every time we build it? not just on the plans, but put them into a format that can be used in the field. Here's why this is valuable for sales and marketing. One of the biggest problems, first of all, is accurately representing the real thing that's available before it's available. Like, do you know anybody who's actually shipped a online shopping experience that accurately represents actually what's available? No, and I would, I would argue that most builders still don't want to show square footages on even black and white line drawings on their website because of the understanding that when it gets to the field, it would not be uncommon for the actual dimension to be half a foot off because once it gets to the field, some adjustment has to be made because there's not those systems yeah. and safeguards out of the gate. So, um, and that stinks because maybe right now where it's still not hard to sell, it, it doesn't feel as important, but for buyers, it is important. You know, like we want to be able to see the thing we're going to get uh, as far in advance as we can. And that we want to build as builders, build confidence and conviction so that buyers, you know, aren't going to take up as much of our sales agents time. Right. I think that's yeah. a, a pretty immediate value when you can actually show the thing that's going to be built and ideally without having to deal with much overhead. So like, yeah. what we're focused on doing is using automation, like actually automatically producing things like sales brochures, virtual walkthroughs, the actual list of options and their prices. If you want to show prices, you know, all of that being automatically produced and managed on a community and lot level. Yeah. And I, I hate to keep diving in so specific to the examples that I'm giving, but hopefully again, for those of you who've been around your builder for a while, you'll, you'll understand this where you could ask a very simple question of a salesperson that says, what is your exterior framing requirements? And they'll say 16 inch on center or whatever it is, okay? Without fail in almost every one of your floor plans, there's some portion of some wall system where that is not the case. Why? Because, because exactly the things Mark's describing have not been followed. And there's kind of a, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a carelessness at all. I, I don't want to portray it's it as that. Possibility. Yeah. It's not possible. All the effort. It's just, there's too much happening, too much change. We, we like, um, change is kind of like this wrecking ball. I don't know if Scott Sadam said this or not in my head. I attribute it to Scott Sadam. It's like this wrecking ball that it wreaks havoc across the value chain, you know, or it's like a snowball that where it gets larger as it goes down. And so we're focused on the very root and we haven't talked about this much, but one of the, the ways we're able to 
automatically produce things like lot-specific construction documents and purchasing lists and you know sales experiences from without having to have any humans working with like a third-party rendering shop or whatever. We can do that automatically because we replace the need for CAD systems that don't actually have information you can use. And there, so that is, it's the reason why this is not information we've shared publicly, but it's the reason why Carl Bass is working with us as an investor and advisor. He's a former CEO of Autodesk. It's the reason why we've got the former CEO of Revit working with us. These folks who have worked in those systems understand that we've reached that point. And we're we're kind of like a leapfrog over that. And um, we're very excited about what we've already seen with our work with builders. We very much want to work with builders who are innovating their businesses with a, with, a, with a view towards systematically rooting out inefficiency and time delays and who are interested in improving the customer experience using, using digital tooling. That's what we do really well. We don't just provide software. We have industry leaders who work on our teams who are partnered very closely with builders. We're much more of kind of an operational partner who uses software to actually do the things we say. You know, as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of tossing some oblique kind of software package that never really does the thing that it says. We're pretty yeah. committed to what we work with. I love it. Okay, so f- full, full nerd alert f- on my end. Um, I think a helpful analogy, and you can take this apart or disagree, Mark, if you want to, is that that at, at its if I had to describe it to someone who is not from our industry and not from the tech world. I would still try to use this as my example. You guys have developed a highly sophisticated game engine that can be personalized to the builder and the type of homes that they want to build that doesn't just create a visual rendering on the screen of a home, but because of the rules and systems set up about how the game, and I'm using the game as an analogy to the builder, how the game must function, you can also export materials lists and all the other you know, uh, construction ready drawings. You have to manually maintain these random little cells in an ERP. And that's your source of truth. The cell, which is meant to be something like, oh, what's my assembly for a, you know, a 204 window is actually a 204 window in, yeah. or in your settings as a builder. And we export your assembly to the ERP. Totally different way of thinking about it. We put your product at the center of the business in a way that's not impossible. That's the whole point. I love it. I, I, again, I'm, I'm just, because it's it's so revolutionary that I think people are going to have a difficult time. Imagine if there was a, a, a system, a, a digital system that allowed you to design your child's ideal Lego set. Uh, based upon the rules of what Lego is, you can't break those rules, right? Uh, but then when you were done, it printed out the instruction booklet, told you what parts to go order from the Lego store, and so you could, I think that's what's unique about what you're doing, Mark, is it heavily starts from a digital place, but it's been designed from the beginning to interact with the physical world. And when I interviewed- you actually work today. Yeah, but, but to, to, to go beyond the digital, to touch the, the physical world of how builders ultimately build their homes. And that's when my interview with Spencer Raskoff, we were talking about, you know, search has, search has been fixed in, in terms of real estate, uh, more or less. Discovery is more or less been cornered by those people, but technology keeps having this hard time when we start interacting with the physical. And I think what your team is doing is, is the best shining North star example of how to do it right. And yet, and maybe this is why 
when I see that Hierarch has been around since 2018, we've been doing as a joke. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, but why is it now four years later that I'm talking to you on this podcast and why is it taken so long? I think that's more of a, a strategy and choice that we made than anything else. First of all, we're very well funded by some of the top technologists and investors in the world. And that's given us the luxury of putting our heads down. And the reason we wanted to put our heads down was to make sure that we can do the thing we say we do. And so this industry is not unlike manufacturing in that they're very busy doing very serious work that has real life daily impact for a lot of people. And it can be tempting when you build software or any kind of new technology, 3D printing included, to go and scream from the rooftops about the vision without being ready to actually take the first steps with your customers. Yeah. Obviously, like there's a gradient there. You don't want to wait until everything's fully baked before you get out. But for us, it was all about actually being able to build what is a fairly sophisticated and high technical lift in terms of creating a procedural and generative system for geometry that's actually meets the needs of production home builders on the web. And so now we're at the place where we're actively out looking for new customers to be a part of what we're doing. We've got a few builders we've been working with for a while that we're very excited about the partnerships with. And we'll be talking more about that in the next year, you know, but we're ready to kind of get out there and start. And the industry needs it, I think, with what's happened with COVID, the supply challenges have really, I think, underscored the need for greater controls on purchasing and estimating. And I think very soon we're going to see a shift in the market where you can differentiate on customer experience again, which obviously we're very passionate about. I think ultimately the closer we can bring the buyer and the builder together, the better outcome you're going to have for everybody. Yeah. And again, it really is how quickly. So an example would be, and there's not a direct example, but I think it's related. Have you heard of the app Shein? Yeah. Right. So one of the most popular apps on the app store from a company in China, S-H-E-I-N. If you have teenage daughters like I do, then you know that that it's an amazing, amazing piece of software. And and it, what it is, it's a fast fashion app of things that don't exist. So every product, when you open up that app and look at it, all of the imagery is been created by artificial intelligence systems of one form or another, different levels of intelligence to say, this is a shirt that we could make. Do you want it? This is a pair of pants that we could make. Do you want it? And then in, in relatively short order, a couple of weeks, if enough people want to order that thing, it gets created and manufactured and shipped to you. Now, the quality of what is shipped to you is mostly garbage, to be fair. But my teenage daughters, 12 and 15, I bet they spend more time with that app with their friends than Snap and Insta combined in a given week. And so this idea of being able to, so it's not a direct connection in that what Hierarch spits out is not, is not crap, but this ability to iterate quickly to what the consumer wants. Again, it's almost an area that builders can't think of what that opportunity would look like because it's so hard to do. Yeah. I mean, there, for mo most public builders, as an example, would say, if we're going to design a new floor plan, we, we, first we have to get in four months worth of meetings to argue whether that floor plan is really necessary or not. Then we're going to design it over the course of two to three months. Then we're going to prototype it, actually build a copy of it somewhere. Then we're going to do a, a walkthrough, several walkthroughs. We're going to make changes. And so again, your ability to react, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but in the time of a downshifting market condition, like we are 
like likely heading into and through as you're listening to this, the ability to react quickly is everything. And I've told this story before, but it's more relevant in this episode than any other one was at Heartland. We just developed a new floor plan called the Newport. It's the first Cape Cod design that we had ever offered for sale uh, as an organization. It was sketched on a piece of paper, quickly costed out incorrectly. We later found it out, but it was costed out and wham, we could offer this Cape Cod from like $215,000 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, sold the crap out of it. I think we sold like a hundred of them uh, in different elevation formats over the next two and a half months. And then we found out that we made almost no money on it. And and there, there were other things that were not good parts of the story that came, came along with that. But the taking it to market and creating a product that the market the product market fit was there. If we had had HiArc to do it, we could have achieved that same velocity of creating a, a product that that the market needed to be able to react. But we would have been able to do so more profitably with less chaos with the with the folks building building the homes. But I really appreciate that story, and I'll give you a couple quick anecdotes. We like to say that if the main thing you get out of us is a much higher revenue per employee, then that's winning with HiArc. That's the kind of transformation we're looking for. A few sort of very in the weeds examples, though, of how that shows up for sales and marketing, for example, even like renders, let's say, you know, and often the renders that you see out there in the world, they range in quality, let's Mm -hmm. call it. And typically, if you're a builder and you're looking to get a new elevation, a new render for a new elevation, just a static photoreal, you know, render, you're looking at somewhere around 600 bucks when it's all said and done to 800 bucks for that render. And you're probably looking at four, four weeks, six weeks, something like that for a turn on time. We can get you a far higher quality, quality render that's actually directly from the model of your home, the actual geometry, so that you're not having to deal with a back and forth with like a rendering house. Mm-hmm. We can do a higher quality, same price, two to three days. No problem. That means a new world of what you can do. Let's yeah. say you've got, a, you've got a higher price point, you're semi-custom. And like the buyer is nearly there. What if you could get a photo roll render of exactly that configuration? Yeah, I, again, this is not where most of you should ever go. But I'm just <laughs> telling you that this is meaning what I'm about to say, not what you just said. Where, what I'm about to say is just like I was saying with Sheehan, in a period of wildly unstableness in the market, could you design six different floor plans, put them on your site, do a a pre-sale, pre-discovery period with the consumer base and then say, okay, we're going to let everyone buy this one floor plan because that was the one that that had the best product market fit and that really most cool. customers were interested in. And, and so this idea of, of prototyping something and getting feedback without having to waste a year figuring yeah. out if the market even really cares about it. You do that in a week, you know, for sure. A quote, one other quote I'll give you. Um, uh, what you just did on the phone with me, well, it was in a Zoom call, what you just yeah. did in front of me would have taken us a year to do. Here's another one. Nearly 40% of our 14,000 plans show something about the roof. Hired would allow us to make changes to the equivalent of 5,600 drawings all at once. That's the kind of power that automation yeah. and connectedness enables. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with as best a narrative example and Mark might X some of this out because it might be trade secrets or not, but I just, I'm going to try to explain and you can go to, to hierarch.com. There'll be a link in the show notes, obviously to, uh, to both Mark's, uh, contact information and, and LinkedIn profile, as well as the site. But 
a blank canvas. He, he draws a box, just a box of wall systems and windows automatically appear. And the windows are spaced out in accordance to the home builder that he had used as the example, their rule set of how far apart the typical window spacing should be. So he didn't have to, even just that, if you've ever watched someone in CAD do what they do, that saves several dozen clicks of the mouse and thought about what needed to happen. Then he adds a front door. And all you did was add the front door, window spacing again adjusts, the count of the window adjusts, et cetera. And when I use the game engine reference, and we switch it. We add a light and we switch it. Oh, so even beyond the stuff inside the walls, he's also <laughs> adjusting. Yeah. See, I'm sales marketing guy doesn't care about those details yet, but they would be incredibly important down the road. Then he draws some interior walls and basically, I mean, he's showing off at this point. He's like, okay, Kevin, so where do you want the kitchen to go? And I'm like that box right there. And he just clicks on the box, highlights kitchen, a kitchen drops in again, based upon the rule set of how many linear feet of cabinets, what dimension of cabinets, where should the sink go, given the rules of the space? And, the and so, and the electrical and everything else. So the, the whole system is, is thought about. And so that's when I say the most impressive demo I've ever seen was, at least you made me believe, Mark, that with a couple hours of basic training, even someone like me could go in and design, now, not, not that it would be anything anyone wants to build, but if you just gave me AutoCAD, and said, draw a house. Like I, I can't tell you the number of apps or s software systems I've installed, Mark, over the years that have promised me the ability to design my own custom home with a click of a couple buttons. And then I download it and all I can do is make that initial box with a door and then everything starts falling apart, right? Yes, thank you for that. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I would love to um, work with folks who feel like this lights their fire. And um, we're here. We're ready to uh, help you transform your business. Awesome. Yeah. Mark, thanks again. I'm sure you will hear more about HiArc in the future. I'm just excited to be able to say I knew you when, because if you can deliver on even 70% of what the promise is imminently, there, there's a whole bunch of people who should be talking to you and your team. One more thanks thing again. I'll say. Yeah. We have a booth that's far too large for ourselves at IBS next year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Don't find us. There you go. All right. Fantastic. Thanks again, Mark. Marketproof Marketing is proudly supported by Opendoor. Visit opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn how you can partner with Opendoor to increase certainty, speed, and ease for your home buyers. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peake, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. View hundreds of articles, videos, and more for free at doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on social networks or in real life. Now get to work and make sure your company is market proof.